0: Got it. Hello, and welcome to I've Never Read Discworld, uh, with myself, Andy Luke, the 2 flower who has never read Discworld, and PJ, do you want to introduce?
1: And uh, PJ Hart, who I suppose in that analogy must therefore be Rincewind, the hapless and a slightly nefarious wizard who takes two floor on his adventures, acting as a guide, as Rincewind does, to Andy's um, virgin foray into the Discworld series.
0: And Every month or so, all being well, we're going to go through a different um, Discworld novel and chronological tonight. It's or today or this morning, Color of Magic. and um yeah so pj do you want to give us a bit of an overview of it
1: sure so um hopefully if you've stumbled across this podcast you, you might have some kind of idea of what discworld is um if you don't and you are looking for something new to read as andy was uh, the discworld series is a series of uh, satirical comedic fantasy novels, uh, the first of which is The Colour of Magic, uh, which was written by Sir Terry Pratchett and published in 1983. It is the first of many, um, I should have the full list in front of me, but I don't, I think the final running number is over 40 uh, books set on the Discworld, which again, if you don't know, you probably do, is a flat planet. Uh, which rides on the back of four elephants, which are in turn carried on the back of a giant turtle, which is flying through space. So just your average, normal, everyday, down to earth stuff.
0: Hmm. So I've never read Discworld. Um, I have read about, uh, I've read Good Omens. I read the Truckers, Diggers, Wings trilogy. This was about 25 years ago um we used to live um in the same building as a builder named robin and we used to go up to hang out with him in evenings and um, he al- always had a Discworld novel in his hands and to do was upon me so um, that's
1: awesome so you're not the- unaware of the work of terry pratchett you're not like coming into this with zero expectations like you have read his other work you just haven't read his biggest work
0: yeah Yeah, so I I knew he's, uh, Discworld is fantasy with a comedic element to it and um, everybody I heard from about it is you should read this, you should absolutely. Um, And is
1: that what put you off? Because I know sometimes like the more like people push at you to like engage in a particular piece of pop culture or something like sometimes it can make you recoil. Is that what happened or what kind of caused this delay?
0: So it was, it was pretty much just not having the, the time. There's so many books. Um, I've got this, this bookcase that has, uh, just like sentience in the books and just grows and grows and and it needs a new form. And, um, yeah, I hear
1: you. So no, no space for Discworld until now on, on the, the ever metamorphosizing bookshelf. I get that. And I should probably mention, um, as we go, so Andy is the new reader. I'm ostensibly the old reader of Discworld, but uh, there are gaps in my reading of Discworld. Um, just from like an emotional comfort point of view, from like a psychological point of view, like I always like the idea that I could reach for a Discworld book that I haven't read, because uh, they've been with me for the last 25 years, give or take. Um, so the idea that they could run out in kind of upsets me a little bit kind of scares me so uh it's time to kind of rip the plaster off for me i think and i'm uh, i'm going to commit to to finishing the series along with andy as he reads it for the first time so there are books that will come to that i will be quite fresh to but will probably have a different perspective and a different kind of feeling about uh than andy will so that that will be interesting when we get to those i have read the color of magic but interestingly for me but unhelpful for our podcast format <laughs> is that i only read it for the first time about uh six months ago um and the, and the re- I will, and we'll, i'll discuss the reasons for that uh later on so i think the kind of first thing to do andy if you're amenable is to jump in uh and get get those real raw first impressions from him because this isn't just the first time he's read the color of magic this is the first time he's read any Discworld book. It's not the first time he's read any Terry Pratchett book. Uh, when was the last time you read a Terry Pratchett book, Andy?
0: It probably would have been... Well, well, actually, just before this podcast, I, by chance, happened upon a copy of Strata, uh, which I think is Pratchett's third novel, and it's kind of like a, a prototype of Discworld. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many commonalities in terms of um, story beats, Pratchett. Um, what might be Pratchett archetypes? A whole general idea of the the uh, the disc. It is a disc world on the back of a giant turtle with the elephants and. Um, but so that was like about a month within the last month. But before that okay. would have been good omens. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. A few years after it was released. So. Oh wow! Really? Okay. Nineties. Is that? Uh,
1: it's earlier than that. Um, I could consult consult the internet on that one if you if you so desire but i have a feeling that good omens is earlier than you'd think considering how kind of good good it is and how kind of prescient it, it still feels and obviously with the, the tv series and and all that uh do you want to guess again what did you guess there late 90s do you want to, do you want to guess again before i gave you the answer
0: uh 95
1: I'm just going to pause for a second. My chair is stuck on some bubble wrap and it's making a horrendous noise. Um, I'm not actually, I'm not, I'm not joking about that. 1995, you're out by a total of five years, 1990. Oh. So yeah, so as I say, earlier than you might think, considering how, what, what a great piece of satire it is. So, so you reckon, the last, so before you read Strada last month, the last time you read a Pratchett book was in the mid-90s? Yeah. Cool, okay. So yeah, here we are. A lot's changed in the intervening 20, 20 years, eighteen years, let's say eighteen years. Um, so that that's a uh, like as good a place as any, I suppose, to to start getting some first impressions on the color of magic. Yeah. Do you want to tell uh, us a little bit about what happens in it before you tell us how you feel about it?
0: Yeah, let's do. Uh, so it's ostensibly the story of Swind, the magician who is um sort of a weary cynic um who who knows his his areas of the disc world quite well and um he is joined by two flower who is a um tourist a very enthusiastic tourist um and the two of them have a a sort of a wonderful um back and forward there's just a, a little quote i have beside me um Two, far, two flower was a tourist, the first ever seen on the disc world. Tourist, Rincewind had decided, meant idiot. <laughs> yeah. And the the two of them and um, Rincewind's luggage. Um, Rincewind serves as Two Flowers' guide to the discworld. Um and they cross a number of different terrains and encounter um trees living trees and temples dragons pub brawls and the edge of the world so it's like a hit
1: list of, of fantasy tropes i'm hearing dragons i'm hearing barbarians i'm hearing i'm hearing like somebody's taken off of the whole um you know jrr tolkien um conan the barbarian hit list that's kind of what's happening is it
0: i guess, i guess it is i haven't really thought about it like that but it's it's subverted and it's just with this sort of wacky wonderful palette and mix of stuff and things so
1: I will, will we hold off on revealing the ending or the type of ending that this book has or um,
0: let's let's hold off for a little while
1: okay so uh so we know now you're uh and i have to mark you down unfortunately as your uh as your disc world professor that the the luggage belongs to two not not to Rincewind. <laughs> oh i'm just gonna cut that cut that cut that yeah no well you definitely cut it yeah <laughs> depends depends how much sass you want from me in this um so that's where they begin the journey that they go on yeah as i say as you've mentioned takes them on a bit of a whirlwind tour of all these um really recognizable fantasy tropes um and i was just gonna maybe check in with you to see which of those was the highlight or what what your kind of bright spot in in the color of magic was
0: um so it's it's four parts of color of magic the sending of it the lure of the worm and close to the edge um I the lure of the worm deals with the dragons, which are imaginary. And that kind of jumped out at me. I like the idea of um this is my my opinion on ghosts. If you don't believe in ghosts are not real and um and uh they're transparent dragons, and there's a, a wonderful scene where um, our characters are in a, a giant cavern and there's just dragons roosting everywhere. And um, So, yeah, I think that was that was certainly one of the highlights, although the, the closer where they reach uh, the edge of the world um, has, has a lot of great stuff in it. I mean, Pratchett adores his puns, it seems. Uh, the rimbo, the <laughs> circumference... <laughs>
1: It's tough to. I mean, we could just, we could fill an R easily by just, um, by just pinging great quotes and great turns of phrase, uh, from any Pratchett book, uh, including this one. You know, back back and forth with each other, and and you know, your your quote about um, <laughs> about tourists meaning idiot is like something we can all relate to. Like we've all been tourists and we've all been idiots, but like that, but the specific scenario of there being a tourist in a fantasy world where there are dragons and barbarians and that stuff. Like that's, you know, it, 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 works on that level too, obviously, cause that's, that's the concept that's of this book. So yeah, I think it, it almost goes without saying that the, even in this early, early novel or early-ish novel, I suppose, um, that, yeah, the, the turn, the turns of phrase are, uh, are great. A lot of the comedy comes from that. Um, From the kind of plays onwards um and this will be slightly fresher in your head than mine i read an electronic version actually of the color of magic which i think is the first time i read a disc world book not on paper um so i was jump so when i don't know if anybody ever does this but um world books are quite famous for having a lot of footnotes right and the footnotes are in the voice of the author and reading them electronically there's like a a teeny tiny asterisk that you have to try to click with your finger and then it jumps you to the end of the book and then you read the footnote and then you have to try to click it again and it brings you back to the page and it it kind of takes a bit of the fun out of reading a terry pratchett book for me so because of that my memory of like how many footnotes there are in the color of magic is is kind of fuzzy now so there's, do you want to remind me does it
0: does he use what, a lot in that way i think there's only one um oh really i i think it's one well, i it could be could be just out but um it's a longer one It's fairly near the beginning oh yeah okay um strata actually has quite a few um so footnotes coming
1: yes um more footnotes coming and uh, in qual in terms of quality and quantity, uh, you'll be uh very pleasantly surprised as as we move forward. That's interesting. Um, I can't quite remember where I was going with that though. Uh, what was I talking about before? why did we get into the footnotes?
0: Footnotes. Um, you were reading the electronic version, and um, yeah,
1: but why was I even talking about that? Why not? Why not? It's, it's a good question. Um. I was going with somewhere with it. It's gone though. It's it's lost. It's gone over the edge. Um well around. you know,
0: reading uh Color of Magic put me in mind of um Douglas Adams. I'm not sure what the chronology is there.
1: Um this is a good question. So ni- 1983 uh, for this. Um can hear hear me cheating. Can hear my my key clicks as I cheat. Uh, yeah, *Hitchhiker's Guide is is gonna say seventies. I just because I'm always, my my Hitchhiker's chronology is fuzzy because it's radio and then it's book, isn't it? They did the radio play first.
0: Oh, I mm-hmm.
1: believe, or it was concurrent or something like that. Anyway, yeah. So Hitchhiker's Guide is like five years before Discworld, give or take. Um, and yeah, the influences are there. You know, funny you mentioned Strata because uh, I was f- sort of in preparation for this flicking through Strata again because I have a hard copy of it. I was reminded a great deal about how. I similar it feels to um, the Hitchhiker's Guide and then not so much so with my reading of initial reading of Discworld when I started reading it like 20 plus years ago I was aware of Douglas Adams. I had read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or I or I read it around the same time and I don't remember like that clicking like as immediately then that like oh yeah this is for fantasy what Hitchhikers is for sci-fi, but but reading The Color of Magic last year with a bit of distance perhaps or maybe it's just because that's almost how this world originated maybe and I I feel I agree with you essentially that um, that 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 kind of comparison is easier to make with this earlier stuff certainly with the color of magic if if somebody pitched this book to me and said yeah it's like a fantasy hitchhiker's guide i'd be like yeah because i mean two floor is a tourist he's you know that even that kind of comparison between a hitchhiker and a tourist you know it's like you've you've got that that it's that that idiot's guide kind of thing where you have this like hapless character just rolling into this insane world and then you you get taken along on the ride so it is very comparable well, in that sense, isn't it?
0: One of, one of the interesting things about this is how um, uh, Two Flower isn't so much our perspective character. There's very few scenes that are just Two Flower alone. It's, it's Rince Windy, the old mage that we are with that introduces us to stuff and things. And um, it really shows off how much thought and work Pratchett has seem to have put into this while preparing um i don't i don't know how much there was in terms of like story bibling um before this, although strata definitely is like a seems like a first draft in a different genre
1: yeah for sure, and it's interesting to me when you talk about yeah the the planning or um or outlining of of color of magic i mean it, it feels very episodic in a way that no spoilers um that later Discworld books don't I suppose and I wonder, did you get that impression did um were you expecting it to be as episodic as it
0: was um no well back to strata again it has no No. chapter breaks um so when I hit the uh the first one in this um, for the um, sending of the eight, sending of the eight prologue. I was just it kind of flew up at me, and it was a, a pleasant surprise.
1: Okay, a pleasant surprise. That's interesting. Good to know. Um, I don't know then how you'll feel uh, as we move forward through the series, because very, very few of the books are uh, delineated into chapters. Uh, and I think that's probably your experience of reading the other other project works that you'd read in the past. Like Good Omens is, though, I think, but... Yeah. I yeah. could be wrong about that. Or maybe that's maybe more um, yeah. Gaiman's influence then. Perhaps, who knows? Uh, that is interesting. So so we like, we like the fact that it's broken down into chapters. We like the fact that we get to see lots of different fantasy stuff. I know that the dragons were a highlight. Were there any of those kind of fantasy tropes that, like, didn't land for you, or...?
0: Um no, no, I mean, the book didn't set my world on fire, but I mm. really enjoyed reading it um, it was really pleasant. I often feel fantasy takes it well, the fantasy I've been exposed to in the in terms of the the d and d barbarians elves, all that stuff I've often felt it takes itself much too seriously, and i i I just experienced that sense of fun that Sir Terry it's having with
1: us um, yeah and in this day and age i suppose like you're right obviously the especially on the literary side of things that uh, it's a genre that has has its roots in some pretty heavy writing with Tolkien and stuff like that um with like you know made up languages and fake histories and all that kind of stuff and it's obviously great to see something that plays with that, makes fun of that. Um, but in this day and age, you know, reading this book that came out in 1983, as we sit here in um, in 2022, in a heavily saturated postmodern world where pop culture eats itself on an annual basis, and you know, we par- par- parodies of things come out before the dust has even settled on on the thing that they're parodying. Um, is the impact of Discworld diminished in any kind of sense? Just because it maybe we're used to that. We're used to that level of irony and that level of parody in this kind of, in the postmodern or the post-postmodern um, uh, cultural, pop cultural landscape that we're we're in at the minute.
0: Yeah. It's all gone madly Marvel lately, hasn't it?
1: Well, yeah, that's a little bit what I'm getting at. I think, I mean, yeah, in a world where we have Deadpool, you know, taking the mick out of, out of Marvel on on the cinema screen to the tune of millions of dollars does like a book like Discworld, which is doing the same thing, but for fantasy 30 years ago, is that right? 40 years ago, 40 years ago on a, on a much smaller scale. Do you feel that had you read this when you read Good Omens, if you, if this was the next book that you picked up after Good Omens, would it have had a bigger impact on you than it did today?
0: I think probably, yeah. Um, what I was expecting when I went into this was, about that time, I was reading a lot of uh, Peter David's work, uh, Star Trek novels and his his comics work, of course. And they were very quick, easy reads, but they were so full of humor and plot twistiness. And I kind of expected that from Color of Magic. Um, I I don't think it it gave me that. It felt like there was a. It it took longer than I imagined to get through. Mm. Um, it was what prom what was promised. Uh, there's some lovely concept in there. And it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, there's stuff. I'm sure you'll not be surprised to learn that there's stuff in there that we revisit in the series. And I don't want to be like. Giving too much away or front loading too much stuff. I'm really, really pleased that your highlight is the the dragon riders and the and that concept that if that imagination is what makes mythical creatures or mythical concepts real in this world, because uh, that's something again without giving too much away. Hopefully. Uh, that's a concept that we revisit in a in a few of my real highlights my and my absolute favorite world books. That's a concept that that's going to come back in a really, really big way, a couple of different ways and a couple of different books. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you again because that's an idea that gets fleshed out really, really well in this series. Um, oh, I remembered why I was asking you about the footnotes, I think. I don't know if I left enough of a pause there to edit that back, but we could always try. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I read it recently uh, myself and I used to say I got, I got it from the, the electronic lending section of my local library, uh, join your library. Um, but I was curious to know in what format that you had read it this time.
0: Well, I um, actually, one of the reasons for approaching about this PJ is my brother, Gavin. Hello. Um, Oh, Gavin. Burdened on me like 15 Discworld novels, um, because he had extra copies. So I have the 1985 Corgi edition with that oh, beautiful yes. wraparound Josh Kirby cover, uh, which are just so iconic.
1: Yeah, that's good to know. Most of the well, interestingly, I think my own collection. So it's going to get very book nerdy now but it seems like the right kind of podcast that to do that also, i suppose uh about half my collection would be those editions and then the other half would be hardbacks as they were released because i kind of got into that stage where like i was super hungry for new Discworld, and i actually the only author i would ever buy a hardback book of as it was released as a teenager you know when that was like real money that had to be spent so um in a weird way though those uh those corgi editions with the the josh josh kirby i want to say is that right
0: yeah
1: yeah with the josh kirby uh illustrations like they are iconic as you say um if you haven't seen them it's not a great discussion to have on in, in the audio medium perhaps but they they are as as andy alluded to, they're these real like the wraparound covers so that's there's so much going on in these covers he's holding it up to the screen to be nice, just so I don't you know, know if we're a I, I, version, but... I can't see it super well um but basically how would, i'm not i'm not much of an art guy um but they're almost overwhelming like there's so much going on in the artwork andy right yeah so like i've talked to people about the books or like i've shown them to my wife or whatever and she's kind of put off by them by those covers you know Because it's just like, it's a sensory overload. There's too much going, like, I don't know what this book's about because there's like 5,000 things going on on this cover. And it is, it's something kind of ugly about his art style. Like, it's intentionally ugly. It's like a Punch and Judy kind of style almost, you know, because it's satirical because they're satirical books, right?
0: It's kind of weird to to find something so iconic yet so detailed because they're just traffic. They're, it must be the colours, That there's unless we've got like barbarians standing at the top of a a cavern with a stairwell down it and a figure rushing down towards the sort of crate of gold um, two floors luggage with its uh, hundreds of little feet underneath and and the that's something we should talk about actually. um,
1: Sorry to interrupt your very vivid description of, of the cover. Um, but that's a character, a character we've talked about Rincewind uh, a little bit. We've talked about Two Floor a little bit. Um, how did you react to meeting the luggage? Tell us um, about the luggage. Tell us who the luggage
0: is. Yes. Uh, the luggage is Two Floor's luggage with, which likes to bite people. Um, which produces lots of lots of very expensive gold coins um, and it's kind of an unstoppable force as well um, and there's also a uh, two flowers camera which oh, yes. i adore um, the camera can, cameras are new in the disc world um, and the camera has a little demon in it that uh, maybe knocks off occasionally for a good working class smoke break um it's very wise, sarcastic. Um I mean, I really hope we see more of the camera.
1: Yeah, well, again, not to spoil too much of Discworld for you, but I'm sure as certain details have come into your orbit via osmosis anyway. So just that idea, that concept, uh that technology on the disc is basically tiny little creatures just working just like doing a day's work doing a day's craft so like so when andy says that the demon if you don't know if you're coming into this um blind the way he was uh when he says that the demon works the camera it's not powered it's not a mechanical camera that's powered by a demon there's like a little dude inside the camera drawing the pictures he's got little paints and all the rest of it and you know if he spills if he spills the purple then you can't have purple in your photos anymore you know so uh so yeah so at this stage and again wary of spoilers but at, at this stage in the technological development of Discworld that's how stuff gets done and it is it's a great it's a great it's a great conceit um one, one of the highlights for me and I was I was interested having read a lot of Discworld but not this book uh I was yeah, pleasantly surprised to see that concept already in place you know book one chapter if not chapter one certainly very early uh, from what I recall, and that kind of, uh, as you say, I, kn- I know you're you've alluded to a couple of times that like this it, this book didn't blow your mind, like it's not it's it hasn't entered your top ten favorite books, I imagine. But despite that, you know, we can feel, or hopefully you you can certainly feel that like. Really, really good groundwork is being laid
0: here, right? Oh, fantastic. Um it's just utterly, it feels like utterly solid world building. Um and in a in a kind of way that I kind of suspect that the the next lot of books aren't gonna rest on that. that it's gonna keep powering along. I, I get that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean yeah, if considering. Like as I say, I was surprised by how episodic this book was, and I suppose that like I knew I've read other books with Rincewind and two floor in them, uh so I know the conceit of those characters. So I shouldn't have been surprised that we we got to see quite a lot of the disc in this book. I guess like they go on a tour. He's a tourist. That's what happens. Um, but as you say, there's a lot, a lot more to come. You know, it's 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 a whole world, and you know we start in the city of ankh and that's that's where a lot of the stories that you're going to read are going to either be entirely or partially or primarily set and I was wondering what you made of it as a setting of like this idea of like a fantasy metropolis isn't kind of something that we come across in the more serious fantasy literature all that much like they're not living like the people in this world aren't living in some castle like the the elves in uh, in lord of the rings or whatever like they they live in what is essentially a fantasy version of london with all the the grit and the grime that comes with that right
0: yeah i felt we got we got the lead in with the docks two floors arrival and then there seemed to be a lot of time spent in the tavern and the, the sort of the moss iceliness of it all um
1: and that's kind of key for me anyway like that idea that yeah is it it's it's still the mended drum in this version isn't it or is it the broken drum I've
0: got the broken drum in this oh yeah
1: it goes one way <laughs> so it starts as the broken drum and then becomes the mended drum or vice versa so in The Color of Magic, it's the broken drum, right? Yeah, I think so. So then what happens, happens. I'm still not sure how much we're giving away in this, but we'll, we'll figure it out. There's a fire. <laughs>
0: yeah, guess gets a little
1: Yeah, things go down. And then uh, when we see the pub again, which we do in many, many Discworld books, it then becomes the mended drum. And it's one of those kind of ongoing Discworld gags. But what I was going to say about the kind of, that Mossy Eisley kind of gritty, the Dungeons and Dragons dark tavern where the adventure begins kind of vibe. That's, that's like another kind of trope that we're playing with in this book, right?
0: Yeah. I felt that whole section was quite slowly paced. And then we, we fairly much, we go through the book and we get the forests and uh, the caverns and temples and in the end of the world. Um,
1: You were, you were happy to get out of the city then. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah. I've, I thought it was a bit of a. I, th- I think it, it works to the book's advantage. Um, the first the tavern element seems to take much more time, I suppose, for a for a setup. It would, but it's it raises an element of what I love about practice writing here. It's the description. Mm. He is painting a full canvas and adding in a commentary with that. Is, so many beautiful paragraphs yeah
1: do you have any favorites any do you want, do you want to drop some quotes on us any favorite quotes um,
0: there's kind of along the way there's um there's there's a few moments where he breaks the fourth wall and it's you know it's it seems like he's talking directly to the reader and of course all authors are Absolutely talking directly to the reader. Um, and he's, he's talking about a theme of the book, which is, which is magic, um, and his role as a creator in that. Um, the disc gods themselves, despite the splendor of the world below them, are seldom satisfied. It is embarrassing to know that one is a god of a world that only exists because every improbability curve must have its far end especially when one can peer into other dimensions at worlds whose creators have more mechanical aptitude than imagination. That's um, great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, the gods, the gods are involved in this book. It's something we haven't touched on yet. Uh, but yeah, the idea that that's where we are, that's where these stories take place is that it's at the end of an improbability curve is a, a, a beautiful concept. And that's yeah, that's okay.
0: more a uh, thematic example of what I was talking about. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yes, but... There's, there's lavish descriptions aplenty. And, um, you can really picture... Um, Strata was a very dense sort of novel, mm. um, and you, you don't always get the same opportunity to just just absolutely delicious um, descriptions. Yeah, I'm I'm fuddling about a bit, but it's it's something this this book has in in spades uh, the canvas and the commentary.
1: Absolutely, and a lot of that, like that quote that you just um you just read out, comes from this chess game that's happening throughout the book. It's like this Bergman style chess game between gods, where. Uh, one of them's a crocodile i want to say <laughs> it's a yeah. crocodile god I, I can't remember what the other one is um and they are essentially toying with the lives of the mortals in that kind of greek greek god kind of way and that connects to something else that we haven't um mentioned yet which is the fact that rinse wind the reason he's such a terrible wizard is because he can't learn spells. And the reason he can't learn spells is because he has one of the original eight spells in his head. It got stuck in his head. So from a mythological point of view, like in terms of like the machinations of gods, he's actually like kind of a big deal because he has this spell stuck in his head.
0: Oh, ah, right. So, yeah.
1: So... I can I hope I'm not spoiling stuff. I'm pretty sure that's all in there in the color of magic. It's not yeah, a huge. Yeah, I just it's
0: not just a, it together. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not
1: a huge plot point as such. It's just something that's. It's kind of set up. It's like it's it's part of his kind of gag origin story, and that like, he's a crap wizard, but there is sort of a reason for it. Uh, and then the other reason for it, in my view, um, is to get out of jail free card. It's a Deus Ex Machina for like, every time Rincewind should die doesn't <laughs> because he's got the spell that's in his head is so powerful it won't let him die which obviously leads him to have all these confrontations with death the character of death who crops up a couple of times yeah, in the color funny. of magic right
0: yeah and uh, I, I noticed uh, the mounting deus ex and i i didn't it like so, the so much it yeah. usually really bugs me but just because they were so much fun yes and they help
1: they keep things taking over in this one right and i and any time where you get arrive at a place in the book where we get to have those scenes with the 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 personification of death because that's like it's like i'm sure you knew going in that that death is one of pratchett's iconic characters one of the one of
0: the other things actually that sort of those leaps in narrative um remind me of a, a show I've got a love-hate relationship with, which is Red Dwarf. Oh, yeah. um, I, I particularly love the earlier sort of Samuel Beckett, Waiting for God-O style um, narrative choices uh, with the really inventive sci-fi stuff, but the later, the really popular stuff, the sort of the wacky adventures yeah. just are a bit too wacky for me. And I, I see a lot of this in in color of magic but it's it's all like working really well um, yeah it, it, it feels sort of yeah it, i i can't explain why i i um pref- prefer pratchett's approach or what he does particularly that works but
1: it it's does. interesting i think it's something as you get deeper into the series that probably will start to crystallize for you so um I just want to run you through our, our, no, sorry, go
0: ahead. Another thing I noticed, I've got a note here that's also similar to what Red Dwarf is trying to do. Uh, It's composed with UK kids' humour comic element, though it's great with nuance, I think.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's it's, it's out there on the global stage. This series is out there on the global stage waving the flag for our sense of humour, you know, for something that's quite peculiar to this part of the world. And I think there are books in this series that exemplify it better, for sure. Um, but, you know, you start where you start. And, uh, and this is, it's, it's a relatively strong start, I think. And I, having hesitated to read it for so many years, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect going in. Uh, and i tried to adjust my expectations accordingly uh, and i ended up being kind of pleasantly surprised su- pleasantly surprised because um because of what you just said all that stuff was already there that that sense of humor um it's so well realized it's so self-assured already you know?
0: it's it's pretty bonkers that you've got um like a kring this um really annoying sarcastic sword but or you know the luggage with legs, but after you know you, you kind of sort of fairly accept the the ludicrousness of it, which is um it's some feet. Um, Absolutely,
1: yeah, and the luggage certainly has some feet, as we know. If uh, you're <laughs> trying trying a bit of <laughs> wordplay here, it's not working. No, <laughs> stick stick to the books, guys. Uh, so without again trying to spoil too much stuff for you, I want to run. Th- through some of the characters in this book that we're going to meet again and get a sense of how excited you are or are not to meet them again or spend more time with them. So the first one's obviously Rincewind.
0: Yes, I I really like Rincewind. Um, He's a character He's made a stupid mistake and he's been paying for it since. He's got that weary old voice. Society doesn't count him... As authentic um, as a magician, but he hang. He seems to hang on to the work he's put into gaining that status, even though the knowledge is pretty much useless because of the great big spell. Um, I, I find him a very sympathetic character, so I'm I'm looking forward. I think I'm going to get more Rintzman pretty soon. Yep,
1: good to know. Um, weirdly, for me, Rintzman put me off. Big time, back in the day. Yeah. So I didn't read The Color of Magic originally, but I did read The Light Fantastic, which is the next book. Uh, And given where The Color of Magic ends, it's a cliffhanger, it's like a literal, proper Terry (laughs) Pratt style, like literal cliffhanger. So so maybe that didn't help that I didn't have the full context um, when I read The Light Fantastic. But I find that like that kind of cowardly character, that like I get the humor of now, but like as a kid when I was like 11 years old, I was like, that's not what I want. As a protagonist in my fantasy novel, you know, I want somebody cool or somebody who's like hardcore or somebody who's like, you know, not, not this like whimpering yellow-bellied wizard who can't even do magic. Like that's not what I want when I'm 11 years old and I'm reading a fantasy novel. So that put me off a little bit at the time. Uh, and obviously eventually I kind of got over that and I circled back around, but I'm glad that like people who don't have my hangups are like reading Wayne that are like immediately, uh, becoming endeared to him and aren't, 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 kind of judging him with their own baggage in the way I did when I was a kid, you know? (laughs) So, uh, so what about two floor? How how are we feeling about two floor?
0: Yeah. Two floors annoying, but in just the right measure.
1: Yeah agreed i think and that, and that was my experience at the time as well Is like rinse wind was kind of making me cringe quite a lot uh, and that kind of made two flowers seem more bearable i think by uh, by comparison and um, but yeah he he has it where it counts and he gets rinse wind out of a lot of trouble gets him into a lot of trouble as well so maybe it balances out yeah his
0: enthusiasm uh, is just adorable
1: yeah that's it too isn't it you know it's it's hard to stay mad at him whereas i think for me it's easier to stay mad with Rincewind, <laughs> for whatever reason uh now there's some characters that you maybe haven't thought about a lot who crop up in this book who you are going to meet again so if you don't have any big impressions of them at the moment that's okay uh but what about the patrician who sets Rincewind his task so the patrician yeah. is the is the leader is the despot of like park he's a He's a dictator, but he, he runs his, the city as a benevolent dictator, dictator. And he gives Rincewind the task of basically making sure that Two Flower comes to no harm.
0: Comes to no harm. And then there's a moment where the patrician or somebody in the circle decides that Two Flower should come to harm. And this yes. completely out at me as a sort of a one of the few unintentionally seemed like one of the few unintentionally unresolved plot threads but it's yeah i'm saying
1: it. nothing yeah it's i'll good. absolutely say nothing uh the fact that i've um i've mentioned that he's gonna you know the patrician is a a, a character that, that looms large lord lord is involved in pretty much every Discworld story certainly all the ones that are set in Nightmore park and is a it's a fan favorite for for many people doesn't get much to do in this book has maybe more to do going forward, so definitely keep an eye on him. Uh, and then I guess the last one to think about well, no, two more. Uh, Cohen the Barbarian, he turns up right.
0: Uh, Harun,
1: oh no, a different barbarian. Oh. Forget forget about the other barbarian. Um, but there is a weird barbarian fascination in these early books, like, there's like definite multiple barbarians that are, are out there doing barbarian stuff, and that's not that's not something we see in like the Netflix or Amazon prime um, fantasy shows that much. Is it, you know, like it feels, it, it does it date at this barbarian thing. Does it feel a bit more eighties or something?
0: I don't know. I had fun with Throne. Um, he's a nice balance between a, uh, an idiot and a hero and, um, yeah, like a, a generally for good sort of force. Um, and there's his marriage with, um, Liesa is it? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, looking forward to her run,
1: reappearance. Yep, I'll, I'll, I'll keep stim on that. There's definitely other barbarians in the mix as well, so you'll get your barbarian fix one way or another going forward. And then the last one, the big one for a lot of Discworld fans, is
0: Death. Yes. Hmm. Um, Maybe it's because I've just been binging the Sandman on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, and and Death is so wonderful there. Um, that besides a typeface, Death hasn't really jumped out at me yet. Um, yeah,
1: that's totally fair. I think um, what's interesting, especially in comparison to like more well-realized versions of the character in other semi-adjacent works like Sandman, is that, the foundations for death as a character rather than as a plot device are still kind of being laid in this book i suppose and that was a bit of a disappointment for me i think going back to it after having read so many of the other books especially the ones where death is almost like a protagonist is that like he doesn't he doesn't kind of he doesn't feel like himself yet i guess you know he's this this concept of him as actually a, as a being with a personality is still not quite there, but bear with it. I would say definitely.
0: So I've got some questions for you. Is this world a sociological story? Class, gender, expounded theories. Um,
1: Yes. (laughs) It's a short answer, but I mean, it, it, it absolutely is. Um, I would be interested to know how much of that you picked up from this book, because I don't know how much of it is really on display, but maybe some of that groundwork is is being laid. I would, I would say, like you'll you'll get we'll get to books in this series where like from from the first ten pages you'll get the sociological issue that is being discussed in this book, and there's a great many of the books where it's like taking aim at a specific issue or like a handful of issues. And I mean, for me, this doesn't feel like one of them, I guess. And that's totally fair because it's the first book in the series. But did you get a sense that that groundwork was being laid? I wonder,
0: or. Um, I mean, I, I guess we could be talking about like a kind of a spiritual sociology um, i so i'm, I'm i mean i've seen the titles of most of the Discworld books and sure. i kind of feel that there might be coming down the line a sort of a kind of a fantasy version of the wire where you have a different book looks at a different aspect of the disc world um, that is
1: that awesome replete
0: with social commentary
1: yeah that's a that is an awesome sales pitch right there for this day and age like yeah if somebody told me that i would be i'd be all over this series and you know and that's right i mean it tonally isn't 100 percent right of course because this world will always be comedy at its heart but but it is it is all encompassing in terms of looking at all all facets of society it looks at class it looks at gender it looks at technology it looks at it's particularly interested as we get to certainly by the middle of the series, it's particularly interested in how technology changes society, which is quite interesting. And in fantasy world terms, we're talking about things like newspapers, steam engines, um, music musical developments so it's uh yeah I mean, hopefully none of those are spoilers because you've seen the titles of the books as you say so yeah so like I, I, a great many of the books are like tackling those subjects head on and for me like that's a lot of where Discworld, you know is Discworld. like that's that's what i think about when i think about Discworld, uh, is those kind of questions and those kind of themes so these earlier books, where they aren't so much on display, are still super fun. And the characters, I guess, are maybe more the focus. And now that I've kind of made my peace with Windswind Wind and we're friends again, uh, I could kind of spend a bit more time just with that kind of character driven humor and less on the big themes. But when those big things come, they're handled so well, you know? So, so something to look forward to, I suppose. Uh, Hope that answers your question, but it's a yes. resigned yes. yes. And
0: also my next one about how prevalent is comedy through the series. So we're going to get into funnier, funnier stuff.
1: Yes. Again, a resounding yes. <laughs> the, the beauty of a lot of it is that it's going to get funnier, but it's going to get heavier, I guess. Like you're going to be a lot more invested in these characters. And a lot more invested probably in some of the characters that you're yet to meet. Um, but they're still written with such heart and such humor. And, and, and those go hand in hand. You know, if, if, if you meet a character that you you care about and you fall in love with um, because they make you laugh and you're, they're so relatable that obviously you're reading a fantasy story where they're going to be put in danger. <laughs> and you know you're going to really really care about those stakes uh and about how, how how those people's lives are affected or whether they're even going to continue so uh yes again it's a resounding yes to that question
0: would your um opinion of color of magic then be typical of um uh pratchett fans what do they place in the hierarchy
1: yeah i mean it's low in the overall hierarchy so it's a discussion that people in the fandom have a lot even now in terms of like and you would imagine that like an author who's so well regarded and you know people would usually praise the consistency of the quality of their work that like it might be surprising that people generally don't recommend just starting from the start. So there's varying skills of thought on like what this world book you should read first. I mean, the issue with not going in chronological order, I think is that you could kind of end up where I ended up, which is then kind of in a bit of a muddle with, and then missing out and not reading books that you should have read 20 years ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, you, yeah know. you don't always have the internet to check these things. Well, I, back then, the no, luckily, we,
1: we do have the internet to check it now, and...
0: I get the impression that Light Fantastic is going to be like a part two of two kind of thing, maybe? It is.
1: I mean, as you say, so it, it, the Color of Magic ends on a big cliffhanger, and the Light Fantastic picks up... It's the next scene, basically. Just picks up exactly where the Color of Magic oh. leaves exactly. off. So that that's that's kind of known... I guess as the, the start of the Rincewind saga or the Rincewind novels, so he has a series that goes through. It's like like nine or ten books, I want to say.
0: Yeah, I understand he's one of the, the major characters. I've been devoutly trying to avoid most of the spoilers, and if you're getting in touch with us, um, please respect that. Don't don't tell me what. Big events happen
1: and Yeah. If anybody's gonna spoil it for him, it's gonna be me. I'll try not to. I'll try really hard not to, of course. So yeah, so you've got about nine or ten Rincewind novels ahead of you where like he's the main character, two floor is involved to varying degrees, etc. And then you've got the watch, the city watch, who are the police force of Ankhmore pork. You've got some witches who are hanging out in a different part of the disc, and then As I alluded to earlier, Death gets his own kind of mini-series of about half a dozen novels or so, where Death, or or Death's family, are essentially the the main characters. So uh, there's quite a strong feeling, and I'm biased in this one, um, that Guards, Guards, which is the first of the city watch novels is like a quite a good introduction uh to the series so for me I read the light fantastic first and was kind of like okay didn't like change my life or whatever enjoyed it uh but then when I read guards guards that's where everything changed and I read those two books almost back to back so like the contrast for me was quite stark um I don't want to talk too much about guards guards now cuz obviously we're going to talk about it later.
0: yeah but thoughts and feelings and that.
1: But those are those are two books that I think would be quite often recommended to start. Either the color of magic, just ply through it, and then, you know, go in publication order. Uh and it builds steam. And at least if you do that, you'll understand all the references. You'll know why the mended drum is what's well, the broken drum and all that kind of stuff. You'll get all those like little references that he throws in there and that's worth it. Or the other school of thought is Get Guards, Guards, which is the start of a really good series, but it also, it starts at just like a little bit of a higher level. Like he's, it's more self-assured, it hits the ground running in a way that perhaps the Rincewind series doesn't. And then uh, once you get a few in, uh, Guards, Guards, Men at Arms and Feet of Clay are the first three City Watch novels. And then maybe once, once you've got those under your belt and you're like, all right, I'm in this for the long haul and you understand about the disc and the wizards and everything. Uh, and I think you may have even met Rincewind in passing. I can't remember, uh, but you certainly meet the other wizards in passing. Uh, then go back and, and, and ply through the color of magic and the light fantastic and, and kind of catch up that way. But
0: so we're these? going to do these in uh chronological order
1: yeah i think that, that 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 makes total sense because otherwise we'll get we could get lost in the woods pretty quickly i'm as we speak looking at the reading order guide 2.0 which is on the lspace.org website uh and it's complicated <laughs> it's a little bit complicated because it breaks them down into the various um uh character uh series so it's got rinse wind and there's little dotted lines coming out and it intersects with witches. And it's just like, we get lost in this way too quickly. We'll just go with publication order and, and that way we can't get lost.
0: Lspace.org Would that be one of the, um, the respected Pratchett sites? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's
1: a reference that probably hasn't, didn't come up in the color of magic, but I think will come up in the light. Fantastic. Uh, so the L in L space is library space. So the library in the unseen university, which is the university that the wizards all hang out in. So it's a library full of magic books. It's where Rincewind got the spell stuck in his head. Uh, and obviously if you have a library full of magic books, weird stuff happens there. Time and space is a bit wobbly. So that's, that's what L space is. So the, the kind of one of the online Repositories for all things Discworld is Lspace.org. So if you're in Andy's boots and you're kind of coming to Discworld relatively fresh and you want to check out some online resources, lspace.org is a good place to start.
0: Super duper. Um have we anything else to go through before we wrap up? Um I want to talk a bit about um the law. Um there's a magical law, put me in mind of Brandon Sanderson's magical laws, the oh, yeah. law of conservation of relativity, uh, which demanded that the effort needed to achieve a goal should be the same regardless of the means used. Um, in practical terms, this meant that, say, creating the illusion of a glass of wine was relatively easy, since it involved merely the subtle shifting of light patterns. On the other hand, lifting a genuine wine glass. A few feet in the air by sheer mental energy required several hours of systemic systematic preparation if the wizard wished to finish the simple principle of leverage flicking his brain out through his ears
1: yeah, it's good the way that he um he approaches yeah he actually thinks about like how magic should work it's not just like waving wands or or saying latin words or whatever and i think it's particularly amusing that he's gone to all that effort but like his main wizard can't do any of it (laughs) (laughs) which is quite which is quite funny but uh we spend more time with the wizards with like a full cast of wizards later and there's a lot of allegory between magic and physics and other sciences and stuff like that so his it's kind of understanding of those laws, like laws of cause and effect, and stuff like that, I guess, which is basically what what that quote's about, um, means that like that's like a really good foundation to build stories, to use magic as an allegory to build stories that are about other things, um, without spoiling them too much. But we did allude to it earlier, I guess, that you know, technology coming into the disc and wizards on in disc world view technology in a certain way and it's all kind of based on on those ideas that are are already starting to be talked about in this book so i think that's uh it kind of shows you what you're in for in in some ways doesn't it you know
0: yeah it gives it a nice sort of uh uh a sort of link to reality
1: Um, exactly yeah and i mean and i we probably won't touch on them but i mean there are there are there is a there is a short series of books Uh, called The Science of Discworld, where they do, uh, I can't remember the scientists, but they're co-written with a couple of round world, that's our world, scientists, uh, examining like various concepts from Discworld, from a scientific perspective. And that wouldn't even be possible if if Sir Terry hadn't have been thinking about magic in these kind of scientific terms with this kind of semi-scientific framework from the outset. So that's quite
0: fun. Oh, cool any final thoughts PJ Um, I was going I'm, back to it yeah final thoughts for
1: me I'm glad that I finally got around to reading The Color of Magic and I'm looking forward to filling in the gaps in my Discworld reading but I'm really really excited to get to some of my favourites I'm really really excited to hear what you think I think the first one that we're going to get to that really speaks to me is Guards Guards for sure so I'm really looking forward to that. But I'm also really enjoying my kind of reacquaintance with Rincewind and like from the adult perspective. So Rincewind, I think, is meant to be like 40 years old and I'm kind of getting to that age now. <laughs> and I kind of see how world weary he is. And I'm like, yeah, man, I get yeah. it. Like I judged you when I was 11 years old and I'm really sorry.
0: Oh, 11 <laughs> year know? old, you knows nothing
1: yeah whereas, whereas, no, by yeah <laughs> i like i get it dude i'm sorry i'm gonna read all your books and we're gonna have lots of fun so i'm looking forward to that
0: yeah I, I definitely get that age kind of toxifies you i think to some level or, or puts you makes you vulnerable to that and um
1: it's interesting this is like yeah. well, as i say when we get to other books there's like a kind of real guiding light of optimism in a lot of these books and I think something that's maybe actually something that kind of threw me about Rincewind originally as well as like he's easily the most cynical of the main, char, main characters in these series I think I'm bearing in mind that one of the main characters in the series is literally death that's kind of saying something you know so yeah, I mean, I definitely, I can identify with them a lot more now, but it's something that, that threw me initially. Like, when we get to the Guards, the City Watch series, and we'll definitely be comparing Rincewind with Vimes. Uh, and, yeah, that's a conversation for another time, but, like, you'll see when we meet Vimes why I kind of maybe find it harder to go back and kind of... Um, Really it with Prince Wind, I suppose.
0: So the light fantastic in four weeks. This podcast should be available on Spotify, Google, iTunes, um, other places. Um, we're going to be on Twitter at Discord GNU, and um, maybe Facebook, maybe Instagram. Let's uh, let's see. We'll have a search for us there, and
1: we'll be out um, there somewhere.
0: Have a talk to us, uh, join in with us, um, color magic or like fantastic. Uh, don't send me spoilers, send them to PJ.
1: Uh, yes, by all means you can find me on Twitter. I'm at PJ heart 86 It's PJ H A R T R T86 six on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, I'm supposed to be writing all day, most days. So I welcome the procrastination opportunities, uh, I will drop pretty much anything to talk about this world except my kids. So, yeah, I welcome it. Bring it on. Let's do it.
0: I'm about Twitter at Andrew Luke and also Facebook, Insta, the whole works. My Patreons, um, gone live again. It's patreon.com forward slash Andy Luke. Um, And my novel Occupied is out um, and it's really good. It's a comedy about camping and activism set in Belfast.
1: I like all three of those things, so I'm excited. I'll hopefully not take 20 years to read that.
0: Um, You've got uh, some stuff on Channel 5 I've been meaning to check out. Oh, I mean, if
1: you're not like four years old, don't worry about it. (laughs) So I have a kid show going out on, a few episodes of a kid show going out on Channel 5 at the moment called Mimi's World. It's not an original creation of mine, but it is a lot of fun. If you've got children between the age of like three and seven, they might like it. It's got like cartoon dragons and stuff in it. It's cool. Oh, yeah. I don't have anything else to plug at the minute. I don't think. Hopefully before the end to this series, I will have something else to plug. Okay. I'll get working on that. We'll if you don't there. distract me too much.
0: Us writers need our meditative time. Well, this is it. All right. Uh
1: Cool. Yeah. See ya. I think this was hopefully as... Slightly underwhelming, a start to the podcast as a color of magic was a slightly underwhelming start to the series.
0: Where it's nothing thematically accurate.
1: This, I mean, it was it's it was really hard. Like we 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 wanted we were going to make it good, and then we thought, no, no, we need to pull it back. You know, mm-hmm. we need to stay on theme. We need to stay on brand. Just, so uh, yeah. we'll get better as the series gets better. Hopefully,
0: absolutely, absolutely. This is this is our um, yeah. Oh, that was that was a segue into like continuing the conversation when we're actually <laughs> <laughs> ending it. Um, so consider this a, a first of um, many, another part, maybe?
1: Definitely. Uh, to be continued. All right, yes. Um, I'm going to go see if I can dig out a copy of The Light Fantastic. I'm going to get rereading it. So I will speak to you again.
0: All right. Let's get on.
1: Goodbye. It. I
0: just, I don't,
1: I don't know how to end the podcast. I have to make, I have to let Andy do it. Um, how, do, how do you do it,
0: Andy? Um, I've never read Discworld,
1: but I have. See you next time. I
0: oh, wow. have. <laughs> <laughs> that was can an we, absolutely Can we do a footnote? Yeah. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Cut that.